Sometimes there's a bunch of people, other times not very many. So, hi Judd, hi Pat, Vanessa, good to have you here. And uh, let's stand up and we'll open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts, Lord. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your word is true, God, and uh, Lord, we're here um, to praise you, to worship you, God, and uh, to gather together like you commanded us to do, Lord Jesus. I pray that um, today our gathering would not just be a mere tradition, but Lord, that that we would... Um, encourage one another and point each other to you and and God just be encouraged Lord help us God to lift your name high God I pray that you'd be glorified in our midst God we want to see Jesus Lord and we want to be drawn closer to you thank you for all that you've done for us amen sing this is the day this is the day this is the day that the Lord has made that the Lord This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. All right. So the first song, uh, official song, is um, one that we're going to do a little bit differently. It's Hail Jesus, You're My King. And I'm going to have this side of the auditorium follow my lead because it's like an echo duet. All right. And this side, y'all are going to follow Carrie's lead. Now, you'll have to pay attention because it does switch from time to time. So, um, hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. Hail, hail, line of Judah. Hail. 
and Lord of my life. testimony or something the Lord's been doing in your life, feel free to share.
I've been challenged this week um, meditating on the fact that our worth is found in Christ. I don't know if you all uh, watched the video that I posted on the family uh, chat, but um, Christ is worthy. We are not. It's not a fair trade, but he died for us anyway, and our worth is found in him and not in ourselves. Let's sing together. My worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or
when I was thinking of that song, I just think of how I'm very self-motivated, if you will. I, I mean, I can look at the checkbook or I can look at different numbers and I can get up every morning and go to work and do all kinds of things because I'm motivated in that way. Um, maybe my own spending habits get me more motivated. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. But, um, but what is my worth in? And I often have to think of why am I doing what I do? Is it for myself? Is it for my own personal gain? Or is it for Christ? And often I find the more that Christ becomes the center of everything that I do, everything that I work towards, um, the more unmotivated I get to work for my own gain, yeah, work for stuff, if you will. Because it becomes of no value. It becomes less and less of a value to us as we, as we gain those things. As it, that song talks about gaining the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the wisdom of him. As we gain that, the things of this world really become of no value. Um, and that, I guess that's my heart's cry, my prayer. I think we've been studying that some as youth with Ephesians in the value of the wisdom of God. And that's what I want to value in my life.
is this really true? Because we don't want to sing. Um, sometimes I think we can sing songs and just be kind of going along, but is it true? Like, we don't want to sing a lie. Um, that Christ is truly enough. Like, take everything away. You know, take our comforts or um, our family, our children, like the people that we hold the closest to, it, to us. Is Jesus truly enough? Like, in him, we have all that we need. Um, and so I always ask myself, as I'm singing this, is this true? And I'm praying, God, make this, make this true in my life, if it's not. Um, but I declare that it is. Um, and if there's anything that is in my heart, he's, he's willing to share that with us when there's things that, um, that are taking his place. He always is, is faithful to show us. Um, but I truly want him to be my reward, my devotion. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Like we know that. We know that. Um, but it's good to remind ourselves that Jesus truly is enough. Let's all stand if you're able to. Yeah. 
Adults love stories too, don't they? So my own boys, I'm not going to put you through the torture of coming up here and singing. Um, so I thought, as adults, so um, we'll see if anybody can figure out what story we're going to say, other than the ones that were in the prayer meeting this morning. So Phil's sermon is going to be on faith. So what story, Old Testament, do you think of when you think of faith? Abraham. Abraham. Okay, that's always the first one that comes with faith. Um, something else, like, not like the whole life of a person. Abraham would have been concerned. I mean, his whole life was a, was a walk of faith. Um, thinking of one instance where faith, uh, it involved food. That was, okay. Was that faith or was that God just providing? Did it take faith? 
they, they lacked faith pretty much terribly through the whole wilderness experience, didn't they? Nope, it's an Old Testament. Okay, which story? Close. The flower, yep. The, the barrel of flour that would never run dry. Yep. So what was happening in Israel? Why, why, I mean, what was taking place in Israel that this story could come about? Famine. Famine? Why? Why was there a famine in the land? Boy, we need to really get some people reading the Old Testament stories again. I love history, so to me, the Old Testament is just full of history. What are you saying, Lel? <laughs> the wickedness, right. And what were they worshiping? Baal, which seemed forever to be a problem that kept on going on in Israel. Baal kept being always a problem with the Israelites. So, yes, it was Ahab. And then um, what was the ending? <laughs> I love Otto Koenig's way of saying it. Yeah, can we stop referring to Otto Koenig one of these days? Um, I, I was just, uh, I had listened to that whole series and then, I left the series of CDs in my truck, and one of my drivers was driving it, and obviously he was listening to it, and he forgot one CD in the player, and I took the whole set out, and then the one CD that was left, every time I start the truck, it automatically starts playing this, this CD from Otto Koenig. And so, and one of the stories in there was about Elijah and how God, um, with the fire, he was like, you know, he loves to have his glory shown forth, Right? God loves when it is him that is shown forth completely. So what did, what did Elijah pour in the altar? Lukey? Water. How many barrels of water? Huh? Seven barrels? I actually don't know for sure. Was it seven or was it? I was thinking it was eight, but I, you're probably right. So, I mean, why, why do you think he poured that much water on it? Okay, he wanted to make sure, I mean, if, there's a, if there was going to be a magic trick going on, don't you think that if there would have been a little fire underneath somehow that was going to start it all up, it would have probably been doused by that much water going on, right? God wanted to make sure that they knew it filled up the whole trench around the altar. But Otto Koenig said, then God said, hey, Elijah, step back, I'm going to hit it dead on. <laughs> Isn't that the way God loves to work? All right, so you guys can follow along with me. First Kings 17. We're going to go just through this story. I think it's a, it's a really good story. And I'm going to start at the beginning of 17. Um, I'll wait for Brad to get his Bible. First Kings 17, beginning in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe... And the Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here, and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is the east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is, east of the Jordan. 
And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a, and after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So I just have to wonder where these ravens were getting this bread and meat. The poor people that were putting their pies up on the windowsill to cool, and the ravens would just take it faithfully. You ever think of what? I mean, do you think the ravens were just, where was this bread coming from? Don't you think there was probably some faithful person that kept putting bread up on the window knowing it was going to something God had showed them that it was leaving? It doesn't say that part of the story, but you have to wonder where it was going from. All right. Now this is where we get to the widow of Zarephath. Then the word of the Lord came to him because the brook had dried up. He had no more water. And I guess it was probably pretty hard for the ravens to bring enough water. Um, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, don't you think it's a little bit interesting? Do you just ever, Lukey, do you just walk into Walmart and look at somebody and say, Bring me a little water? Do you ever do that? No. I think it's kind of interesting that he would just walk, say this to some woman, right? I mean, I think God had told him to, but wouldn't I as the one? I mean, if I was that person that was getting said that to, I would definitely wonder why. why, why is, who is this person that he would ask me that? And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's just a bleak outlook. One meal left, and then just sit down and wait to die. I know my boys claim they're about ready to do that sometimes if they don't get food soon. Right, Blake? Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. I need food. I'm so hungry. It's only been three hours since your last meal. But we can feel that way. I don't think any of us have experienced anything like hunger of this. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall, empty, shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. I think that takes faith. Not only on Elijah's part, but also the widow's part. I think she truly trusted in God. I think that was her testimony. And... We're going to see even more of that faith in the next couple of verses. After this, the son of the woman, the, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. What do you need to live, Lukey? Uh, it helps, right? If you stop breathing, just try it for a while. Just 40 seconds. So, I mean, it says he just had no breath left. So a little bit longer than 40 seconds, right? He wasn't just holding his breath. Okay. 
There was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I have sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Lord, O Lord my God, let this child, child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. So why again was Israel within a famine? Idol worship. So do you think as a whole the nation of Israel was in within idol worship. So there was one widow with one son who still recognized God. When, when uh, Elijah came up to her, the thing that was said was that God, she said, she brought up, the Lord your God lives, I have nothing to bake. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing to bake. That was her answer to him. Obviously, she understood who God was. There was still an understanding of God being a part of his, her life. And I love how it became God wanted to show himself faithful to her. Like her faith by not turning to Baal, by not worshiping idols, was the very thing that saved her son and her life with a never-ending barrel, uh, barrel, a jar of flour and oil in a jug that never ran out. And also it became the salvation of her son in his life being restored. Don't take your relationship with God lightly. Don't take your faith in God lightly. Even as children, I know this didn't this involved a child, but it wasn't a child that had this faith. But last week we learned of Samuel and being called and the faithfulness that he showed through all his life in serving God. And I think as children, and me who is a child that never grows up, I still need to do this very same thing is have the same faith as a child and trust in God no matter what the circumstances are, even if I'm down to my last morsel. All right, that was the adults' children's lesson today. Um, and I didn't even make you guys stand up and sing. I could have had Noah stand up and do something, but I decided to spare him. All right, so uh, for announcements today... Um, Saturday morning prayer was supposed to be at, or no, Saturday morning prayer at 7 o'clock a.m. next Saturday. And there was supposed to be um, Bible study here this coming Wednesday night, but that has been moved to the next Wednesday night. So I don't have the dates in front of me of what those dates are, but that will be a week postponed. Um, 22nd. 22nd now instead of whatever it's going to be here. Um, and then... Brother Steve is doing better, but he is not feeling 100% yet. So hopefully next Sunday he can be doing better. So let's continue to pray for him and lift him up before the Lord. I think your dad is not feeling good. Did he get? He didn't get COVID or anything, did he? He just has a sniffle. 
whole family had to stay home just to blow that, blow that poor kid's... No, never mind. Um, uh, who was it that said they wanted to sing that song here some Sunday? Um, I think it was John Schroeder, wasn't it? I think so. Anyway. Um, no, it was Dave. That's who it was. It was your dad that said that. Wasn't it the other Sunday he was saying that was the song he wanted to sing? About uh, excuses, excuses, we hear them every day. Yeah, that's he was up here when he was leading the hymn singing. That was what he was saying. So um, just keep them in prayer. And um, so Phil Francis plans to share here next Sunday. Um, he'll bring us the word next Sunday. So keep him in mind uh, this week and come to hear him. I don't know if many of you know. I think we all know who Phil Francis is and maybe don't recognize his name. I didn't recognize his last name because I did not know. But um, Phil has been a friend of ours for years here, and so he'll be sharing next Sunday. Oh, there's September 22nd. I hadn't read down far enough. So, and the study, uh, the Bible study will be on September 22nd, and it'll be on the life of Jonah. So, um, let's just come to the Lord. And, sorry. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer, and um, we'll turn the time over to Phil. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you are so faithful in our lives to show yourself to be the Lord and the Savior of our lives if we are willing to look to you, to recognize you. Lord, even as you did with the widow in Zephyr, Lord, that you desire that same life to be within us. Lord, you desire to be the one who supplies all our needs. Lord, so often I know in my own heart I am quick to find solutions to do to do things on my own instead of look to you. And Lord, I want to have the faith to understand that you will provide. That as I give more of myself to you, you are faithful to provide. Not in the way maybe I see it, but in the way that you know I need it. And Lord, I just pray that even today as we listen to Phil and the words that are spoken, Lord, I pray that we would just have a better understanding of the faith that we need to serve you. The faith that is throughout all of scripture that you so highly recognize and that you want and want to see from your children. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through Phil this morning as he opens up the word to us. And Lord, I just pray that we would be open. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be here resting upon us and that we would understand the wisdom of what you have for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. By the way, did you know that woman was not a Jew? Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, talking about this story, he says, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel. Verse 25. In the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet, Elijah was sent to none of them. But only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Jesus said he wasn't sent to the Jews. He was sent to a Gentile woman in the land of Sidon. You know what the Jews did about that? Jesus said, and there were many lepers in Israel, verse 27, in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down off the cliff. But he, passing through their midst, went his way. Wow. That's what Jesus said about how God takes the most unlikely person and even those who are called by his name and his own people will miss it. And it's still true that way today. There is this simple faith that many, many Christians who come to church regularly every Sunday morning and fill the pew miss in their walk with Jesus. That a person who is non-religious, perhaps homeless and living on the streets, gets to experience with Jesus because he or she believes in him and in his provision for them, for her. And so many times, their faith is much greater than those of us who profess to know Jesus and believe in his word. And walk with him. And that's the challenge I want to give to you this morning. Last Sunday I spoke a bit about faith. And how in Hebrews 11 verse 6 it tells us. Without faith it's impossible to please God. And in Romans chapter 14. On a very practical level. The Holy Spirit through Paul said. If you eat and you drink something. Without faith comes sin to you. If you don't have the faith that it's okay for you to eat that or it's okay for you to drink this, becomes sin. Whatever is not a faith is sin, is what he says in Romans 14. And if you look at the chapter of Romans 14, he's talking about eating and drinking food. And some say I should only eat salads. They're vegetarians. And some say, no, it's okay that I eat some meat. And Paul says, as your faith is, each one of you should do so in full conviction, but you must do it. That means you must do it believing God has given it to you to enjoy. And if you can't do it in good faith, it comes sin to you. So faith is really important, not just in the big things of calling upon God and the great salvation he'll bring to our soul, but in a small little thing as eating and drinking. And so I ask you, is your faith that simple in your everyday life? When you're on the road, perhaps, and you're stopped at a gas station for some fuel, and you're feeling sleepy, maybe, and you feel like you should have something to perk you up a bit, and you walk into the convenience store, do you just take a moment and say, Lord, what should I take right now? Or does that not even enter your mind? Your faith is not that simple. You believe God for the great salvation of forgiving your sins, but it's not that practical in your life. You don't need faith to do that. You just go and choose it. Whatever you're feeling into, Red Bull or Mountain Dew or water, you just do it without even any faith involved. I want to challenge you. 
have faith in God in the simple little things of life. And you will find a great blessing. This is the blessing you're going to find. Hebrews 11 verse 6. You can't come to God unless you believe that He is. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Turn your Bibles with me there. And look at this word. in Romans 11 verse 6 and without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is he is right now right here and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him that means if you ask him he's going to reward you in the smallest simple thing like food. If you ask him, he's going to reward you. When you begin to walk like that in faith, there is a reward of fellowship with God, where God blesses you. It's just like a little child, a three-year-old coming to mom and say, can I have a cookie? Or can I, can I get something out of the fridge? I'm hungry. Can I eat something? And mom says either no or yes, or you can have this instead of this, right? Mother's parenting, that's normal. We don't expect a three-year-old or five-year-old or even an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old to just go in there and get anything they want anytime they want, do we, parents? No, we want our children to ask us. And then we'll gladly give them permission, but more than permission, we will bless them. Right? We will bless them in it. In little things like food. And I want to ask you, does God bless your food? You see, it's common in Christianity to have this kind of faith. When we sit around the table and we have the meal, how many Christians would just eat without thanking the Lord for the food? I don't think you would find a Christian on the earth that would do that. Very few. Very few. Because it's so common, somehow that has been drilled into our conscience, so impressed upon the conscience of our faith towards God, that to do that, we would be convicted of sin. Right? We'd be convicted. I, I need to pray the blessing on the food. But unless we're seated around in that format of the table with others, we don't even think about it. Does your faith go so practical in your life that it's not a format? It's not because it's a common thing in Christianity and you've been taught this and every Christian does it, but it's real living faith. Real living faith. What if you tried that when you went to get a candy bar at the gas station or stopped for a glass of water and you sought him believing he's going to reward you with a blessing and that which you partake will be a blessing to you. He'll turn it into life-giving. Life-giving. He'll perk you up with it. He'll bless you with it. It'll turn into his provision for you. 
That's the faith that the woman who was not a Jew had. And did God bless her? Oh man, yes. He blessed her with a resurrection life. I want you to think about that. What was the greatest thing Elijah did for her? Wasn't the food, was it? At the end of the story, he raised her son back to life. And this is the blessing that comes with every faith action. Inside of faith, the reward that God gives to faith, whether it's a little thing like food or a big thing of calling upon the name of the Lord to save you and deliver you from the power of sin in your life, that besetting sin that just keeps stumbling you and bugging you and you just can't get victory and you call upon his name as Romans 10 says and you're saved. That faith gives you resurrection power and the little faith of calling upon his name when you eat gives you resurrection power. It does, if you'll believe it. And this is, I think, is what the Jews missed. All those Jews in the day of Jesus who came regularly and faithfully to the synagogue and worshipped God with all their things, they didn't worship any idols anymore. Baal had long been gone from their lips. You know, after the Jews were carried away to Babylon, the one thing God purged from their life that is never mentioned in the Jewish nation again is the idol of Baal. He never came back. God purged that idol worship. And they came back and through Ezra and Nehemiah's ministry in their life. They rebuilt the temple. They restored true worship. They restored the word of God. And they obeyed it and putting away their strange wives from them. I mean, they went through genuine repentance. And they became good, legalistic, living out the word of God. And they began to do something else. Add all kinds of little details to God's word in their life. Many, many other commandments to the point where when Jesus came, he didn't deal with idol worship in Israel. What did he deal with? What were they missing? Faith. They didn't need faith anymore. They had the law of Moses. They had the prophets. They didn't need faith. And so when Jesus, God himself in the flesh, came among them, they didn't believe. That's what Jesus was looking for in Israel. And where did he find it? In a Roman centurion. That's where he found it. You remember that story? Jesus came. The Roman centurion had a servant who was sick in his house. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He sent somebody, come Jesus. And while Jesus was on the way, he sends someone else out. He says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy. You should come into my house. Just say the word. You'll be healed. And Jesus honored that faith and said, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. But in a Roman centurion is where he found it. And so... I just want to encourage us as those who 
Name the name of Jesus Christ. We profess to know him. We read his word. Are you living a life of faith? And what if Jesus, what if God our Father comes to test your faith? Is it a one-time faith that you believed in God and he saved your soul and you were baptized and you knew your sins are forgiven and you were born of the Holy Spirit and now you're adopted into God's family and, and now you just live by the word and you're a normal Christian. A normal Christian. Or are you living a life from faith to faith? That's the word I want to share with you in Romans chapter 1. The Lord gave me this word very strongly this week in my own heart. And I'm simply sharing this truth with you that God is sharing with me to, to not just challenge me, but to change me. To embrace the life of faith. Not only embrace it, but pursue God this way. Seek Him in faith. Seek to please God through faith in the smallest Little areas of my life. Because you know what I found in my life? I have these moments of big tests of faith. And I might obey God in that. And I go, wow, Lord. You really tested my faith. And I, I obeyed you. And look, you rewarded my faith. And, and somehow I, I console myself. I pat myself on the back and say, I'm living by faith now. And then all of a sudden the next day or the next day the Lord brings another thing of faith and I go, do I have to live this way? The trial of my faith frustrates me. Because I haven't expected or sought to walk with God every day in an act of faith. And what is faith? What is faith to you? You know how God describes faith in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's something you can't see through. You don't see into the future how God is going to work this out for you and for your good. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. And what's happening right now, momentarily, in your life, you don't see any good in it. You can't believe there's any good in this. There is no reason there should be any good in this. It's all bad experience. But faith says, I believe that word of Romans 8. That this is for my good. And it is because God wants to change me more into Christ. It's a trial of my faith. And faith says, I'm going to trust you. That this is for my good today. It's not bad. That kind of faith, nothing ever, nothing ever in your life is bad. You never have a bad day. Does it seem bad? Yes. It doesn't make any sense. But your faith can turn that thing hoped for into the evidence. Things you still don't see, but you believe it's for your good. And you know what? Your faith goes through that 
every day and takes everything that happens to you and turns it for your good because you believe it is for your good because God said so. God said so, did he not? Do you believe that word or don't you? And if you really, your faith reaches out to that. It is a trial. It is a struggle. It is a test. But your faith takes all of your emotions and everything you see and hear and feel around you in that moment and it believes it's for my good. And then your faith does something. It controls your tongue. How you speak about what's happening right now controls your tongue. Your faith begins to take over your feelings. And if you lead, allow that faith to lead you into obedience, you'll begin to speak in faith about what's happening to you right now. This is for my good, Lord. You promised it. And I'm going to bring all of my feelings to this obedience and believe you that this is for my good, though I don't see it and I don't believe it. I just can't believe it because I just don't see it. But I'm going to trust you with it, Lord, because your word said so. And the Lord takes it and he makes 1 Corinthians chapter 1 your experience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit through Paul speaks to the church at Corinth and says this. Verse 26, speaking of the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen God has chosen for you and I every day the things that are not that he might nullify or make nothing the things which are that no man should boast before God but by his doing by this doing right here you are in Christ Jesus and Jesus becomes to you who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That just as it is written, let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why do you boast in God every day? Do you? Have, do, you do you boast in God's work in your life every day? You don't. I don't. Unless this happens. Things that are not become real through faith. And the things that are, as I see them, they're made nothing. Mountains are removed. That which seems such a big problem is all of a sudden not a problem at all with God. And in my mind, I begin to, through faith, see it the way God sees it. And it becomes for my good, not my problem becomes for my good and it's not my problem the things that are not become real but God does this to do this to us to change us into the image of Christ to sanctify us to Jesus Christ so he can redeem us 
And I tell you, when God does a miracle in your life every day, you boast in God. We do. But when we don't see the miracles that happen around us, and we live like mere men, we experience the world around us just like everybody else does. We have bad days, we have good days. Bad days are when nothing goes my way, and a good day is when everything goes the way I planned. And goes my way. That's what defines a good and a bad day. For me. Isn't it you? My carnal man. That's what I would describe a good day. I get up in the morning. And I feel good. My body doesn't hurt. I just get up happy. I read the Bible. I'm encouraged. I have lots of food in the fridge. So I, I eat a good breakfast or... Maybe I get to choose to eat a little breakfast because I'm watching my carbs and I'm in control of my day. I go to work when I'm planning. I'm not late. I'm not cut off by people on the way to work. Traffic's clear. There's no one else on the highway. I own the road. That's good. I get to work and the schedule's all there and everybody's happy and in a good mood. That's good for me. And I just begin to walk through the day and everything just falls right into place, just the way. And I, I'm making good money that day. I make some really good deals. And, you know, when I go out to work, it just, I'm efficient. I feel really good about what, how this whole thing, how my day happened and is, is happening and putting together. And, and I go home that day and I had a good day. And I go home and I come into my home and my family's happy and everybody had a wonderful day and... School went really well for the kids, and Mama's happy, and there's a wonderful dinner, and we bless God for the, mood, for the meal, and now that's a good day. And we lay down on our bed that night, satisfied. Thank you, Jesus, for a good day. I didn't have to live by faith even once. Hallelujah. Is that how you live? Is that what you call a good day? Be honest. I'll be honest. That's what my flesh calls a good day. And a bad day. Is all everything, you know, a country song sung well. Right? I overslept this morning. I got up. I hardly had time to read the Bible. I just flipped it open and whatever I read, read. Oh, okay. The verse came to me and there it is and... Uh, that doesn't really fit, but there it is. I, I, I grab a piece of toast and maybe an egg or something or a bowl of cereal and I don't hardly have time because I'm running late for work and, and, and I'm a little bit uptight and, and then I get a little, you know, my wife is, is like, oh, why are you so uptight? I'm not uptight. I, I, I'm just in a hurry. Yes, what do you need? Okay. I, well, I'm running out the, out the door, you know, and, and Maybe I don't even say hi to the kids. They're oversleeping or everybody's just frustrated. And, and I, on my way to work, people are cutting me off left and right and pulling out in front of me and slamming the brakes in front of me. And I'm in a hurry and no one else is in a hurry. To, and I'm late and I come into my office and my boss says, why are you late? I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man. I, you know, it was all the traffic on the road made me late. And I go about my day and just nothing is happening my way. Things break down and... And my tools are breaking or, or my computer is slow and it's not. And then I make a bad deal and people cancel their orders or they, you know, something. And then 
You know, maybe I'd go out for lunch. Hang on, I'll get to you. Maybe I'd go out for lunch and my credit cards decline. Whatever. I'd go for cash and, you know, I have $10 worth of food and it's $10.50 and I got a $10 bill. And what am I going to do? I have to put some of it back. Embarrassing, right? Well, my wife probably didn't pay the bill this month. Maybe you'd get on the phone and go, why, why was my credit card not going through? Did you not pay the bill in time? And so I stumble through my day. A wonderful, wonderful day to experience faith. God laid it all out, prepared for you to trust him. And all it does is frustrate you, his child. And at the end of the day, you just cry and say, God, nothing went my way today. I'm grumpy, I'm frustrated. Everybody around me is grumpy and frustrated. Oh, God, would you please, please make tomorrow go better. And the Lord's saying, oh, if only you would live by faith. Every experience you experience today, you would have seen a blessing in it. It would have been a reward. I would have been your reward. I would have been your help. I would have given you grace. My presence would have been right there guiding you through it. And your faith that you had in the morning would have grown stronger in me. And at the end of the day, you're laying on your bed and you would be boasting that I helped you. And without my help, you could not have walked through the day with any grace at all. It would have been a bad day, but because I gave you the opportunity to live by faith, it was a glorious day. This kind of glorious. Romans chapter 5, glorious. It's a glory day when we live like this. Verse 3. Mm. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we live, in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult, we boast in our tribulations. Do you boast or moan? Do you boast or complain? You'll do one or the other. It's black and white. You either groan and moan and complain or you exalt. And the only way we're going to exalt in a tribulation is through faith. If we trust that God is working this for my good. That's the only way we can exalt. It's impossible to please him any other way. We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That word is endurance. How do you become strong enough to endure? Tribulation is the only thing that will bring you that strength. You see, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like to get strength that way. I want God to do some kind of magic touch and put his finger on my heart and just make me feel strong. When I feel like complaining and all of a sudden I'm just, I'm strong. 
how do you get physical muscles? How do you physically become strong? Does God magically touch you and transform your muscles into some muscle core power and strengthen your legs and all of a sudden you can run a 5K and you're barely puffing? Because God just gave you a miracle. How do you get it? God does give you a miracle. But he gives it to you if you get out there through exercise. Daily exercise is how we build strength physically. We got that. We know that. Everybody knows that. We don't try it any other way. We don't even pray for any other way. That's stupid, isn't it? What Christian would pray for that kind of thing from, he- from their Heavenly Father, from God? Maybe you're getting ready to run a marathon. I have a, a friend, some of you guys know him, Luke Kipfer, who is getting ready to run this marathon. He's raising money to, for a, a, a charity and and he and his wife were out there every day just running and running and every day a little bit further and a little bit further and he likes to put on his social media, you know, just to keep us all posted how tired he is and how wore out he is and how difficult this is. And I mean, it's, it's a struggle, but he's doing it and he's doing it for the cause and, and he's doing it because he's training for the marathon and he's enduring the pain. It's going to be worth it. The cause is worth it. That's how life is. Just the way it is. Right? Nobody prays for it any other way. Then why do we spiritually pray for it in another way? Have you found yourself asking God that there is some other way to get strong spiritually and build up endurance in the race of your faith, the fight of faith without exercise? I have many times. And the Lord always points me right back here and says, there's no other way. This is the way. And once you accept it, you'll begin to glory in it. So much so, you'll share it with others. I mean, it's just common for us to, to talk about our physical achievements, right? We're excited. I mean... We're excited about the gain of strength physically, endurance, and what God is doing with this in our life, and so we should spiritually. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance is not the end of all. It brings proven character. It proves who you are on the inside. It proves our faith. It gives us Acts of faith that prove our faith to us, ourselves, and to heaven, and to our fellow countrymen. And proven character gives you hope. I tell you, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling discouraged, this is the way to be encouraged. Tribulations, trials of our faith come to encourage us. Do you believe that? If you believe it, every trial of your faith will encourage you. That's what it says. It's to give you hope. And hope does not disappoint. Not this hope. It's not just something, oh, I wish for a million dollars. And so you go play the lottery. It's not that kind of hope. This hope does not disappoint. Because it comes to us through proven character. 
through real life trial experiences that test our faith. And we exult in them because it builds enduring strength in our hearts. And hope does not disappoint because then God does something. See, God isn't neutral in this. He sovereignly gives us this trial of our faith because it's so precious to God. It has the value of gold. Much more value than that, 1 Peter 1 says. That your trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing, full of glory, full of rewards. God rewards faith every time. And this is how he does it. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's the end of the trial. You want to exalt in that? Or are you begging God for some magic touch of love? Just make me love everybody today. If you pray that prayer, God has a way to bring love into your heart. It's through this way. A love that will never disappoint you. Because love becomes strong in your heart. It overcomes. It's an overcoming love. Not a magic one. From faith to faith. Romans chapter 1. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And I want to point out a man to you who lived like this. Hebrews chapter 11 points out many. It is, you know, like walking down the hall of fame of faith. God gave us a hall of fame of faith. Have you walked down that hall lately? And just stop at each one and thought about it and looked at their life. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Lord says this to us. Verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering, thinking about the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Copy that kind of faith. Now, it doesn't say copy their conduct. It doesn't say copy anything else they're doing. But their faith. When you consider their life, imitate their faith. Don't you just love to read about George Mueller? How many of you know the story of George Mueller? Many, many Christians know the story of George Mueller. If you don't know that story, you should go back and read him. Just Google George Mueller. People have written all kinds of books about this man's life. And this is the question the Lord asked me today. If, you, if I gave you the opportunity to live one week in the life of George Mueller's faith, what would you do? Would you imitate his faith or not? What if you had hundreds of children to feed this morning and no food in the house? Nothing. No food at all. What would you do? 
Would you have George Mueller's faith? Or would you get frustrated and angry and upset? What if all kinds of people told you because you felt God calling you to obey him and to serve people the way he did and go out in the streets and start orphanages and bring these people home to his home and care for these children that had no other place to go. And even your wife told you she thought you were a bit crazy, but okay, she's going to help. She's going to hope and pray you're trusting God and you're hearing God on this one. But a lot of other people say you're absolutely crazy. Would you still do it? Would you obey God that way? Imitate his faith? And the Lord said to me, in my heart, I think most modern day Christians would completely freak out if I gave them the opportunity to live one week in George Mueller's faith. Just one week of your life. How would you talk about that week? What if you had that faith? What if God did miracles like he did and honored your faith, rewarded it like he did George Mueller? Would that be enough for you? From then on, that would be like a week in the life of George Mueller for you and you would like make a plaque about it. You would tell everybody what God did and how good and how amazing, how great he was and how he supplied your needs and that would be enough for you to live on for like a few years. Or would you be willing to live every day like that for the rest of your life? Faith. Abraham is, as the Holy Spirit says in Romans, the father of all those who believe. He is pointed out as a great example of faith. A man who not only had one-time faith, but who lived by faith, from faith to faith. So much so, that in Galatians, chapter, Galatians chapter um, 3 or 2, Galatians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit says this in verse 6, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those, listen to this, it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Are you a son of Abraham? Or are you like the Jews in John? Chapter 8. I was reading through the gospel John chapter 8 this week and this is the word that the Lord challenged me with. Jesus said to them Jesus verse 31 Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him if you abide in my word then are you truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? What has Jesus' truth set you free from? Most Christians would say, yes, free from the fear of the devil. Free from the power of sin in my life. He's delivered me from addictions. He has 
forgiven all my sins. He set me free from condemnation and guilt of my sins, my past sins. He set me free from the fear of man, being you know, controlled by what other people say and think. And, and he's made me bold to proclaim the gospel. He's, he's set me free from, you know, you name it. And Jesus does do exactly that. We have many things he can set us free from. But I want to share, look at this, of what Jesus said. You should know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And my question to you is, has Jesus set you free from living a life of no faith, a faithless life? Has he set you free from living a life filled with anxiety and where you control, you are in control, to living a life where he's in control and you trust him, that he is actually in control? And you live by faith in the smallest little details, even like eating and drinking. That's an act of faith towards him. And you get rewarded there. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's offspring. Notice the difference. I know that you're Abraham's offspring. Yet you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard. From your father. They answered and said to him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them. Verse 39. If you are Abraham's children. Do the deeds of Abraham. Has the Holy Spirit spoken that to you lately? If you're Abraham's children. Do the deeds of Abraham. Imitate his faith. I'll tell you. When you walk down the hall of fame of faith and God puts Abraham there right in front of you and you look at him and you consider and you begin to imitate his faith and you go back into Genesis chapter 11 where Abraham first comes on the scene where God first mentions his name and you begin to go through the rest of the Bible. Abraham's faith starts there. And it doesn't end anywhere. That faith still gets to live in you and I every day. If you are Abraham's offspring, do the deeds of Abraham. Live with the same faith towards God that he did. And you'll be his children. It is those who are of the faith of Abraham that are his children. Romans chapter 3 says... He that is a Jew is not one who is one outwardly, but who is one inwardly, who has the heart circumcised, who lives by this faith of Abraham. And that whole story of Abraham, I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis and point out a few things to you. I used to think of Abraham like this. You know, the first one, he's called out from his family in Genesis. You'll read this. is where his faith 
where we read that his faith began. In Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abraham, verse 1, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He begins his life of faith with a departure from his earthly family and his earthly inheritance of his father. And Jesus said something like this to everyone who wants to be his disciple. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said these words. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Of me. And he who does not take his cross, this cross, the cross is a, sig- is a symbol of death. Somebody dies on a cross. The cross is not just a nice little plaque that you hang around your, your neck or something we put up on the wall. The cross is where somebody gets to die, it's an instrument of death. That's what Jesus said. If you don't take up this instrument of death and follow after me, you're not even worthy of me. And then Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10, I'm sorry. He says, verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or farms, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much. You want to get a hundred percent interest? Only God does that. No bank will ever give you a hundred percent interest. That's crazy. But God says, that's how much I'll repay you. A hundred times as much now, in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. The reward of faith of Abraham. Are you willing to imitate Abraham's faith? That when the cross of Jesus calls comes into your life and you hear Jesus calling you, you fully expect and know that he will bring a separation of that which is physical, a physical relationship, a natural good relationship. Jesus' cross will separate you from that to himself. And if you don't take up that cross and imitate Abraham, when God called, he just packed up and he left. 
you're not even worthy to be a disciple. And guess what? You won't follow Jesus without going through this cross. You might forgive your sins, but you won't follow him. You won't live by faith. This is where faith starts. It separates all natural human relationships to himself. To give you a love more for him than any other human being in the world. And how that all looks like in your life and in my life is different for every person. But it's true in every disciple of Jesus. You must take up that cross. You must, by faith, live that out every day. Your dad calls you on the phone. And he wants you to do something. Or maybe your mom calls you. And as precious and as lovely as they are. Maybe your wife. Or your husband. Or your son or daughter. And they want you to do something. And you have a choice. Of following God that day. Or doing what they want you to do. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't honor your father and mother. Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 15. There is a love that also flows out. I'm talking about an act of obedience to God where you love him more than these relationships. That separation, that circumcision, that death is a daily cross that each of us must take to imitate Abraham's faith. And it, what it does is it separates us unto God and we're willing to go anywhere he tells us to go and do anything he tells us to do that day because he separated us to himself like he did Abraham. You can go on and read how Abraham went out and Hebrews 11 says he didn't even know where he was going. I'm not sure where this is going to take me, but I know God has called me to follow him this way. And it separates us from the fear and control of man. The closest relationships of man that we have on the earth. It separates us from that control in our life. And the Lord knows that unless we're separated from that control, we can't be a true disciple of Jesus. He can speak many things into our life. We'll say that truth is good. That truth is good. But we're never set free from the control of those closest to us. It's very important. It is a deal breaker with Jesus. Abraham got the blessing. And you and I will too. Jesus promised it. You take this deal from Jesus. I will give you a hundred mothers. I'll give you a hundred Relationships of fathers in my family. I will give you hundred children. I will give you a hundred blessings of everything that you're willing to be separated from. Earthly to spiritual. There's a hundred blessings there that God is waiting to give to those who will imitate that faith. And yet, I wonder... I wonder how many Christians have those hundred blessings in their life. Do you have them? Do you have that? All those blessings? One hundred times as much as what you give up that day for Christ. And the Lord repays you a hundred times. He says, 
right now, in this age, I'm going to do it. And you're also going to get eternal life. And so often I think that our faith is in the eternal life, but we miss the now, the here and now, a hundred times blessings because we want to come to Jesus and we want him to forgive my sins, but I want to keep all of this, all of these relationships are very, very important to me, Jesus. Surely you understand. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't understand. He calls us to be separated in our hearts. Our faith must be separated from man to him alone. And from the control of man to him alone. And then, then we get to walk with him. And from that faith, Abraham went on from faith to faith. Oh, if you read through, from, especially from Genesis starting in chapter 11, all the way out to Genesis chapter 22 and 23, where he sacrificed his only promised son. And in his mind, Hebrews 11 says, he did, he was as good as dead. He sacrificed him. Believing God was going to do what? Someone know? Raise him from the dead. He believed in the resurrection power of God. That if he obeyed God and killed something in his life, the very most precious promised thing, God was going to raise it back up as a new life. That's the faith that it takes to obey God fully. Everything you give up, everything you and I, that God calls to give up and put to death in our life, we must believe He will raise it back up in a new life. And that is the obedience of faith that Romans 1 and Romans 16 talk about. That faith which leads to obedience like Abraham. And James says, Abraham's faith was very different than the devil's. The devil's also believe and tremble. But Abraham's faith had obedience. It was a faith that led him to obey God in every step, in every area. Now, he wasn't perfect. There were times he struggled. There were times he laughed. There were times he begged God and said, Oh, God, but look, right here is Ishmael. Can he not be the one? But every step, ended in obedience and God rewarded his faith and today God's promise is true to Abraham still today his children are without number he said if anyone can count the dust of the earth then they can count your children Abraham how many Christians are there in the world does anyone know no one will ever know only God knows that number Abraham's children of faith are still numberless, without number in the world. Today, Abraham's promise is fulfilled. Don't you want to be one of those? One of those numberless. And the faith that is imitated in Abraham on the, that same Potent faith 
can be imitated in your life and in my life every day. And we can receive the numberless blessings of a hundredfold of obedience in my life. Whose faith are you imitating? Is your life from faith to faith to faith, the righteous shall live by faith. In the smallest little things, you find the reward of faith, like food and drink. And you live by faith. And when the trials and the tribulations of life come against you, you overcome them through faith. They become what is meant for evil, a good thing in your life. And that goodness you share with others. And so that all things work together for good in your life every day. Hebrews 10 says, for you, verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that you have done the, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere. And preserve their souls. Boy, I'm doing terrible reading this morning. So we are not of those that shrink back. We are those that preserve our souls. And I had to think a little bit. I know I fail very often with my wife would be the one to testify this morning the most. Just like you said, with our days that go all wrong and we forget all about, about living by faith. But I had to think to myself, well, I guess I'll look forward to the next day. And then I got scared and said, well, maybe I don't want to say that. <laughs> um, but yes, let's remember to live by faith in Christ. Um, there's a meal here today, so you're all very welcome to stay and participate with us in the fellowship. And uh, let's close with prayer, unless there's anything else. I'm forgetting any announcements. Um, let's close in prayer, and I'll uh, remember the new meal. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we study it and understand who you want us to be, Lord, the heroes of the faith, Lord, that we can look back on and see through an example of foundation that was laid, and Lord, that we can look to Christ and know that we can live by faith. And Lord, I just pray that we would do this and exercise it this week. Thank you for this food, Lord, that we are about to partake in. And Lord, I just pray you bless us to our bodies and bless our fellowship this afternoon and each one. As we go throughout our days and live this week out, Lord, I pray that um, your truths would be lived out through us and you would show yourself faithful. I pray this in your name.